I had a special relationship with my maternal grandma. Her name was Lova, and she always told people that her name was Love with an A at the end. She lived nearby, and I spent many Friday nights having sleepovers at her house and waking up early on Saturday mornings to get warm donuts with chocolate frosting and then spend the day together. Lova loved her grandchildren and lived to get to know them and spend time with each and every one of us. One Christmas of my childhood, I received a special gift from my grandma. It was the last present of the day, and all around my twin sister and I lay opened gifts. A new mint green miniskirt with a matching peach sweater and turtleneck, leg warmers, a new Barbie, and other things. And because my sister and I are twins, it was often obligatory to open our gifts at the same time, because usually they were the same present. So we would sit back to back and race to be the first one to open the gift and be the first to see what was inside. I don't know why this Christmas is so vivid in my mind, as it was just another Christmas of my childhood, but it is, and we both raced to open that last gift of the day. Upon opening, we each pulled out a handmade quilt. The quilt was made from a tan flat sheet with butterflies all over the front, fluffy polyester batting in the middle, and a navy blue sheet as the quilt back. The whole thing was tied together with navy blue yarn. It was a simple quilt, like all of the other quilts I had seen my grandma make over the years, but it was made with love and it was well used and adored. I wish I still had that sheet quilt. This is Liz and Elizabeth from Simple Simon and Company, and you are listening to Stitched. Today's episode is sponsored by Baby Lock. Julie Powell, famed author of Julie and Julia, once queried, Is there anything better than butter? Think it over. When you taste something delicious beyond imagining and you say, What is in this? The answer is always going to be butter. Butter is everyone's favorite dairy product and is a staple item in refrigerators across the United States. From turning the humblest burnt toast into a feast to sauteing vegetable marrow in five-star restaurants, butter is a common thread across the country. Affordable, easy to access, and delicious, butter has indeed spread its way into the very heart of America. But unlike the majority of the stories we've told here on Stitched, Butter did not get its start on the plains of the Midwest. No, to trace the origins of butter, we need to go back in time, as early as 2000 BC, to explore nomadic civilizations. During this time period, milk would have been placed in skin bags for keeping and transportation. And many historians believe that these skin bags were then attached to pack animals whose movement as they traveled would have been enough to agitate the milk into what would become the precursor to butter, and thus discovering the golden goodness we have all come to love and enjoy. And enjoy it we have. Interestingly enough, this flavor sensation is only made from a handful of ingredients, which are the proteins and fat found in milk, mixed with water, and occasionally salt. That's it. So simple. But when mixed correctly, magic happens. Butter's unique combination of fat and water, emulsified with a protein, allows butter to remain in a solid but spreadable state while at room temperature, as well as giving butter the fantastic ability to melt at the low temperature of just 90 degrees Fahrenheit, 
which is perfect for coating one of my personal favorite items, corn on the cob. Today, the butter we consume is most often made from cow's milk, but butter can also be made from the milk of sheep, goat, buffalo, or other mammals, and can vary in color depending on the diet of the animal from which it comes. And while butter was not discovered on the plains of the Midwest, as I said earlier, it did play an important role in the lives of those who designed the churn-dash quilt block out on the frontier, which we will be discussing right after our sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Baby Lock's brand new line of sewing machines called the Genuine Collection. Recently, Liz and I had the opportunity to see the new line of machines from the Baby Lock Genuine Collection. And while we love the new designs, which are so fun, and the fact that the machines span a wide range of skill levels and needs, we also discovered something else exciting about the Genuine Collection. Each machine in the collection has its own great sewing features and comes with free online sewing classes, how-to videos, projects, and customer support. Free online sewing classes and how-to videos? How great is that? To learn more about these fantastic machines, visit babylock.com backslash genuine. Before butter was commercially produced, every home had the tools required to make their own. The tools varied and changed over time, but all were devices that allowed cream to be churned into butter. The paddle churn was a popular example of these kind of devices. Basically, a paddle churn was a container with a paddle inside. The paddle was operated by a handle that when rotated, turned the paddle and churned cream inside the container into butter. Other popular types of churns were the swing churn and the barrel churn. But my favorite is the rocking butter churn invented by Alfred Clark. This churn was essentially a barrel that you attached to your rocking chair. And while the rocking chair rocked, the barrel agitated the milk into butter. Genius. This is totally the model of churn that I would have wanted in my home. However, the churn we are most interested in today is the upright version of the plunge churn, which was the most commonly used type of churn to make butter on the American frontier. They were typically made from wood and were tall cylinders that often tapered towards the top. These cylinders would come equipped with wooden lids sporting a hole set right in the center. Through the hole in the lid, a wooden staff would be threaded. This staff was much the same as a broom handle at the top, but had a wooden X attached to the bottom. This staff was commonly called the dash and was used to plunge up and down inside the churn to mix, stir, and agitate the milk until it thickened into butter. It is from this combination of butter-making tools, the churn and the dash, that both the name and design of the churn-dash quilt block was born. In this block, the triangle and the rectangle perimeter of the block represent the churn, while the center square represents the dash. Many quilt historians trace the origin of this block back to 1849, when butter making was considered part of a homemaker's routine. The churn-dash quilt block is traditionally assembled like a nine-patch quilt block. The four corners are made from half-square triangles, the middle square is solid, and the four remaining squares are split up into two contrasting colored rectangles. So much like the recipe to make butter, only a few ingredients are required. But also like butter, this quilt block can add flavor to a beginner's quilt 
or create a challenge for advanced quilters who position these blocks into intricate designs. Because of its simplicity and construction, the churn dash was one of the first quilt block patterns that young quilters learned to stitch together in the 1800s. And like several other blocks that we've discussed, like the log cabin and the flying geese, it has never gone out of style. In fact, in recent years, the churn dash has become a quilting favorite among many modern traditional quilters who adore its edgy geometric shape, proving once again that sometimes when the simplest of ingredients or shapes come together, delicious magic is born. Nothing fancy is required. I don't think my grandma Lova ever considered herself a quilter. She would just say she made simple sheet quilts and hand-tied them. But there are a few of those simple sheet quilts left today, and they are a reminder of her time and investment in each tied piece of yarn. A sweet reminder also of the time and investment she put into the lives of her children and grandchildren. I think sometimes in life, we think it's the grandiose events that are the most important. And while we remember some of those, It's the more simple day-to-day things that bind us one to another. It's the small and simple daily things I remember about my Grandma Lova. I remember her sitting on a large white wooden swing in the summer with knitting on her lap, smiling as she watched us play in the sand. I remember people in the church benches in front of us turning around to try to get a glimpse of who was singing so loudly and a bit off-key in church. And every time that happened, she would smile and giggle and would end up singing a little bit louder. I'm not singing for them, she would sometimes whisper. I remember the tea parties she would prepare for us on Sunday afternoons, when I now know that she had just finished up serving a huge Sunday meal and had washed all the dishes. She didn't complain she was tired. She simply would put the kettle on for some herbal tea and a plate of Oreos. And I remember the large wooden drawer with presents she always kept filled with soaps and small gifts to deliver when someone needed a pick-me-up. I was lucky to be able to accompany her on many of those trips. I remember a simple trip to deliver a pacifier clip to a new mother who had just had a baby and was struggling. She went under the guise of, We thought you might need this, but we ended up cleaning and watching the baby for a few hours so that new mother could get a break. Small and simple, it's the daily events in life that when mixed together are golden and truly the most delicious. For more stories, projects, and quilt tutorials, visit us over on www.simplesimonandco.com. There you can find a variety of churn dash patterns, projects, and tutorials. Thanks for listening, and if you have a minute, please leave us a comment or a review, especially if you're listening on iTunes. These comments and reviews help new listeners find our podcast and help keep us on the air.